This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share. This is a podcast about people and practitioners working with mental health and surviving mental health. Today we are sitting with Roger in his in his lounge. He's very kindly welcomed into welcomed me into his home to talk to him about what's going on for him. And Roger lives in Canberra and is an author and an ex public servant. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure that's going to be talked about a little bit today. So welcome, Roger. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Francis. This, this Thank is you. good. It's um, this, this is something that I, I do a lot with my friends as well. Is is when we catch up um, with with my male friends. It's very much a, a mental health check in these days. Brilliant. We're all at that similar stage in life. Yeah, yeah. It's good that you. It's good that you're you're willing to talk about mental health with your friends because a lot of people aren't. Yeah, and no, I think that's been one of the big changes in in Australia, or at least in my friendship group. Is, is that we are at the most difficult time, I think, in your 40s, going into your 50s. Yep. It's the hardest time in your life um, with the things going on with your parents, kids, uh, yourself. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool when you sit there at a cafe on a street corner and you're just really talking openly and people are going, huh? <laughs> These guys are really checking in. You know? yeah, yeah. But um, it, it's, it's so important and, and you know, I don't know if it's me or my friends, but, you know, it's... it's um, it's beyond that are you okay day type thing. So you're not just keeping it to one day, you're doing no. it regularly. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite open with my mates because uh, they, they, they saw me, you know, or a lot of them saw me when it was bad. So they, um, you know, and they're my mates too. So you mentioned there just very briefly they saw you when you were bad. Uh, what was going on for you at that time? Oh, this is... This is, you know, the the probably five years ago now, and um, what was going on was uh, uh, this is before I worked out. I was bipolar, uh, bipolar two, and before I got diagnosed, and you know, I just uh, I couldn't roll up. I couldn't roll up to my life. I couldn't, um, you know, I was missing Christmas parties, uh, mates that have these, you know, family gatherings. I couldn't go. I couldn't go to the yes family races. I just um, it was, it was was withdrawing, I suppose. And, um, you know, the hidden part of this and the reason why I want to talk about it is that so much of this is not talked about, so much of this, especially in male Australia, is, is um, you know, uh, you catch up, you do something with your mate and that's that. And it's not really punching much deeper than that. And that's on me and it's on others as well, but I was, I was very much sort of, um, uh, I, I would hide actually most of what's going on. So it's kind of hard to answer you in terms of what my friends saw, but they saw me not rolling up. They, they I think they saw um, part of it. But did they notice a difference in you at that time? If they did, they didn't say anything. It's kind of like when you're with the wrong girl and your mates don't say anything. <laughs> because you're not going to listen to them anyway, are you? Exactly. And, you know, if, if it's a rebounder and it's and all of a sudden you get married to that girl, then, you know, there's big problems down the line. Uh, but it is. It's, it's To me, in my head, it's it's, it's a parallel with that. Is um, You're supposed to work it out yourself. And it's the great, it's the great lie, isn't it? And that's, you know, that's that's the massive learning from all this. So what was the, what was the, the, 
the what the moment that made you realize that something wasn't right uh, i think it's you know it's a funny thing is i i never felt things weren't right i just knew i was trapped i felt like i was floating down this stormy river and the cliffs are getting higher and i couldn't get out of the river i, I felt swept along i you know at my worst i felt um that life's taking a long time and then I would, I think two or three times I'd vote, I'd say here in the house, I'd yell out, when's this going to end? As in my life, as in I was sick of it. Yeah. And um, I, I tweaked then going, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound good. But it's kind of like you're talking about yourself in the third person. It's this weird moment, you know, when you, you're looking back going, I didn't really realise how bad I was. I, I knew it was wrong, but you just, you know, you haven't got perspective and you're lost. And when you're lost, you know, you, you, don't, you don't really know your first step back. Uh, so the, the critical moment is um, sitting out the front of my house, out the front there, and, and um, uh, I'd just been prescribed the wrong medication and this is the big warning straight up is with mental health, see the professionals, see the experts, don't go see your GP and let them put you on a gee whiz pill that they don't know is the right one for you because they haven't, you know, all that stuff. And, um, and that's... That's what happened. I was put on the wrong med and I came off it and I didn't do it the way the GP said and I, and I, and I didn't take Valium for a week and I was pretty much losing my mind and I, I lost the ability to stop, you know, editing, you know, what I was saying and the things I was saying to my family and wife were, you know, this is, this is crunch time now and, um, you know, uh, my friends knew that I, I, I loved everyone but they just, um, they... It's 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 my wife ringing up Black Dog, getting me booked in, that turned everything around. And I'm and I'm I so sympathise with guys that don't have partners, because I know I would never have done it. I would never have picked up their phone and acted. I just would I you just, would you now knowing what you know? It's still hard. I, I some days it's it's uh, easier for me to book in to see the GP, and other days I just say um, to my wife. For whatever reason, I can't do it today. And she just goes, oh, yeah. And, and it's, I can do more and more, but that's really about self-care and that's really about being able to, and confident you can look after yourself. And it's about taking action. And um, I, I got very socially anorexic with all this and um, I just couldn't act, couldn't act, couldn't act, mm -hmm. and it became a real thing. And that's the rabbit hole that I went down that I, in the last five years, have, have realised how how anorexic I am in my relationships. Um, and that's, that's you know, what I mean by that is, is the ability to nurture. Yourself and others. Yeah. And um, okay. I, I, I wanted to. I loved them. I couldn't be and do what I needed to do. So yeah. that's, that's how it felt when, when, when I bottomed out. And um, funny story is that <clears throat> when we go up to Black Dog, uh, in, in Sydney, uh, I'm in my old sloppy jalopy O3 Commodore and it's misfiring, like it's not working on all cylinders and that was my brain, you know. I, we were going up hills to Sydney and I was chug, 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 chug and I was like, and I was like this is how my brain feels. You know, I'm just misfiring the whole way and, um, you know, as much as I don't like Sykes. Um, and, I, and I'm not once, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Oh, I've had some victim blamers. I've met a few of them, you know. And, uh, so on that, how many how many people did you speak to before you found the right one? Oh, I I, I um I started seeing counsellors 
psychologists, not psychiatrists, but um, universities when I started. So um, I didn't roll up knowing anything about mental health or anything like that. I just knew I needed to speak to someone. And it, it, it takes a long time. You know, it, it's, it takes a while to find someone you click with. There's one uh, guy here, uh, Danny in Canberra, and he and I clicked and I, I'd seen him for a long time. But for me, it's not so much about professional support now, it's about peer support. Um, it's about the community, it's about um, you know, the people I can call on, text if there's an issue. And I'll do that if, if I'm flying well, I'll do that every day. Um, and that's. We're just checking in every day with somebody. Yeah, because uh, this, this is. This is uh, this is daily program for me now and to me I call it chopping wood and it's, you know, if it's 10 minutes a day of chopping wood, it's 1% of the day and, you know, that's the stuff that clears it all out for me, uh, clears out all the, because all, all the toxic negative stuff will come up again and that's um, the issue for me is negative thinking and moving from anxiety into that deep swing into depression and you know, knowing I've got to change the tape knowing that these thoughts will come up and, and knowing that I need to now reach for recovery and how do I do that? And then for me, it's flushing out. I call it flushing the toilet. I just write down all the things that went wrong and all the things I did wrong I could have done better. Or so you write daily? I journal. I'm a big journaler. I'll, I'll tell anyone that listens. Uh, and and, and I, would, I would say the biggest thing to anyone listening is to journal. Write this down and it's the, it's the science behind recovery. It's once you move it into that sophisticated part of your brain, the written language, you feel less emotional about it. And that's the neuroscience. And um, just get it out of your head. We call it getting out of – just write it down, move it onto the paper. It'll have less power over you. I must admit, I very often tell clients when they're have, when they're struggling with the ruminating thoughts to get it out on paper, so you don't have to remember it anymore. Very, yeah, spot on. And we've got the. I'm glad you mentioned that. We've got the ruminating page up on the fridge too, because that's what I found, isn't it? That this is a big thing that's just driving you down and keeping that record going around on the same side, mm. uh, and, it, and it serves no good purpose. So, mm. as much as I love listening to Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and there is only now. I know it's a little bit more than that, um, but it, for me, it's the um, and, and memory is just a story we tell ourselves. It's not real. That that's probably one of the biggest things is to really accept that um, what we tell ourselves is just a fractured version of, of our past, and we you know we're more negatively focused than positive. So this is the stuff that was all driving me down, and what you got to do now is is flip it. Uh, flip it and and for me it's the positives and negatives in the day it's three things that'll make my day great um, it's I write down gratitudes where I'm struggling as well with affirmations like asking for help and and the other big thing journaling yes but uh, the affirmation I write down nearly every day is I ask for help dig in and wait and uh, I just thought when I was in that river and the cliffs are getting high, I just thought I've got to do all this myself and really resentful and really angry and, you know, F everyone else and, you know, and I was a really good blamer too, just best blamer. The, the, I go to a support group and, um, you know, we all joke, oh, we were such good blamers. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about about the, the process of, of getting into and attending a support group. Well, for me, this is, this is tied up. So mental health tied up with 12-step um, for me. And, um, and being an addict as well and accepting that and then taking action with that as well. So when I talk about mental health, um, when I go to the 12-step, you're not supposed to talk about the science. 
uh, and then you're in mental health and you, you are. So it's sort of you flip and flop between the two. Because um, and I understand why they do that in twelve step too. Because you because you you want to actually have this stuff recede back into your life. You don't want to be so focused on it all the time. So yeah, there's, 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 there's I don't know. They're just on a just on a uh, a methodology comment there. Um, so my counselor could go back to counselors. My counselor said, get into this support group or you're not going to make it. Right. She, she just lined me up and said, you're not going to. Was this gonna... one of the ones that you liked? <laughs> she was really good. I, I, I would, yeah, no, um, I don't know if I liked or disliked, but uh, this, this is, this is uh, I, we had breakup counselling with my ex, had a, had a wonderfully um, <clears throat> bad relationship for five years, between 25 and 30, but, and, and, and uh, just because we are totally with the wrong person and uh, couldn't be honest and all those things. Um, and we had breakup counseling because we actually really liked each other. We we're just friends, you know. And um, and the counselor's just listening to me talking. Oh, you got to go to this group. I go, why? And she goes, oh, otherwise you're not going to make forty. And I knew it, you know. I, I and so I, I really got stuck into that. So and was that a pretty big wake up call for someone completely independent from you to say you need to get some help or you're not going to make it to forty? Yeah, it's exactly what I need. I need that, you know, to change your mindset, you need that big, bold, bam, boom statement, that big push and breaking up and then that counsellor telling you that. And uh, I rolled up and clicked and straight away and I knew this, this is this is where I need to be. And, it's you know. a powerful moment for you. Yeah, it's, you know, it was, it was in Sydney and there's 60 people at, at the meeting. It was a big deal there and, um, you know, it was uh, took me about 18 months to get used to it, going to those. How often were you going for? Oh, I'd go once, twice a week, and um, this is this is uh, really at its core. The twelve step program is about um, you know reconnecting with your higher power, whatever that is, you know, God, higher power, just something bigger than you. And this is the biggest thing that I would you know probably tell teenage me is that you need to get out of your own way. And of course, being a teenager, I'd tell myself to stuff off. But twelve um, step gets you back reconnected. And and you're not the biggest dog in the in the pack anymore. It's not all about you, and that is one, once you can get hooked into that and get reconnected and believe in something, mm. and if that something's just meditation or if it's Buddhism or, or whatever it is, just it's not you. So it doesn't have to be God. No, no, it's just something just like just a little bit bigger than you. Just not you, because selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, you know. Uh, addicted, and then then that mental health kicks in. You keep driving it down, and you know you're you're off. You're racing, you know mentally. So yeah, and 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 the next two things are finding out you know about what's at the core of all this with yourself, and the next thing is your relationships with the rest of the world. And I'm really focused now when I do that positive and negative journaling list. I focus on the interactions I had with people that went well, and where I did well, and where I could have done better. And then I, I so you actually self-evaluate every day. Yeah, and it's it's the willingness to be honest. Uh, uh, honesty sets you free, and you're only as sick as your secrets. They're they're too. The only we're only as sick as our secrets. Oh right. And honesty sets you free. So they're two big slogans. I'm a slogans guy. Yeah. As, as much as I'm a, a journalist. But you're as the well. only you're the only you're only as sick as as this as your secrets actually fits in quite nicely with the name of our podcast. As well, well, that's what I was I was going to kick off with that. Yeah. But um, um, I got there, and it's and it's true. Um, what have you got to be ashamed of if you don't have any secrets? And then that's liberating. That will just rock you back, rocks me back, and then I can um, 
and then I can feel calm. And what I've wanted, if you ask me what 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 does success look like, it's very officey, but um, feeling calm, settled, and safe. I would I would say. So success really is sort of going against quite a lot of things that people who would say be successful. For you, it's almost the opposite of what most people would see as success as being. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's like that Alan Watts um, recording. When, and, and this is what turning 40 is like for, for anyone leading up to it. Is you find out it's a great lie. That the, you think you're going to turn 40 and your career's awesome and, you know, you've, you've arrived and you don't arrive anywhere. And that journey thing is, is totally false. It, you it just is, arrive at another decade, don't you? Well, it's, it's, you, you arrive each day and you've got to turn it around to that. And when I'm good, I, I, I'm, I'm focused on that. And when I'm not good, I'm on, I'm on resentments from 20 years ago. I'm on fake fights with people that don't even coach football. You know, just mad. I, my brain can get out there real quick yeah. if I let it run, you know, and, I can, and, and catastrophizing is another big thing that I'm, I'm want to do. Um, you know, I can, I, can be, I can be living alone in the sober house for men <laughs> in, within, you know, five minutes, you know, if, if I can let that, if I feed that part of me. Um, so it's, it's, I forgot what we we're talking about. Well, but one it's of the what things- you focus on and, and, and what are you choosing to focus on and getting that power of choice back is, that's, again, another 12-step thing is you, you, you're restored to sanity and, and you have choice in your life again. You, you, know, you can choose to go and do all the things that hurt you or you can do the things that really help you. But when you're lost, you don't have that choice. So one of the things that you told me about in our little pre-chat that we had was an app that you use on a daily basis. Could you tell me a little bit about that and what it's called and how it helps? Mm. It's called Brain Changer and it applies the, the neuroscience into a daily program of planning out your day and then how do I do it safely and putting all your safety measures in, in charge. And for me, it's asking for help, smiling, listening to music, comedy, break, exercise, all these things, you know, um, and then measuring how I'm going, measuring the intensity of it, um, how, uh, you know, in te- me- measuring the safety measures and the things that are really, you know, zombie-like negatives for me. And I've, I've been a um, chronic pain sufferer for a long time and that wrapped up in mental health really fed each other. And so much of my recovery physically is wrapped up, you know, we know it's biopsychosocial now. And what that app does, it helps me say, I'm safe. And if I'm not, it helps me go look for those measures and it prompts me to do it. And then it's that Dr. Fox thing when he said that, uh, I think that's my Siamese you can hear in the background. Yeah, I can. we can hear the cat and the, the cat and the dog probably in a minute. So it combines, it's, it's, um, it's, it's uh, interdisciplinary. It brings that together, the mind, spirit, and body, um, and it's adding structure to your day. And when you add structure to an activity, you get an element of control. And once you get that, you know, I start to feel, you know, I, I can get through. I Before recovery in mental health, I didn't feel like I could make it. Now, you know, the analogy is, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into the river and I can get to the other side. And I know I will. Because you use this app on a daily basis in the, in the morning, well, afternoon? Yeah, and I, I, I use the Brain Changer app. And I'm also um, a big user of um, Arjun Brahm or Thich Nhat Hanh or uh, some Buddhist meditations. And also Calm. I'm trying out the Calm app, which is really mature now. I was using it back when I was just all kicking off. 
And that's uh, that's got a really good habit loops built into it as well, just to prompt you to get you on your streak of doing meditations every day. And that's this is about creating a virtuous cycle in your life and getting out of that vicious cycle. Yeah. So, but the technology you're really utilizing the modern technology to help you mm. maintain. So one of the things you mentioned just previously was about um, you said comedy. So I'm going to I'm going to sort of like out you a little bit here and say that we originally met um probably about 10 years ago when I was doing stand up comedy and you ran a room in Canberra and I used to drive all the way down from Sydney do a 10 minute gig turn around and go drive back to Sydney again with your chihuahua with with well not with this chihuahua with a different chihuahua uh. but yeah I did I used to I used to do that and and we've sort of like remained friends on on and off since then and just tell me about your comedy journey, though, because it, it, it played a big part in your mental health. It did. It started back in uh, 2010 and we had our first uh, baby and we just weren't getting out of the house and my wife had um, postnatal depression and we used it as a way of getting out of the house once a month to be out socially. And don't worry, it ran its course. <laughs> I used to run jokes on my wife, which guys never do that. That'll put everything at risk. Don't practice humour on your wife because she's bound to either look at you and go, that's funny, or just look at you and go, God, when's he going to stop? Yeah, but- I found that. Don't, don't, I, fact, I found just don't practice jokes on anybody that knows you. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's the worst thing to do. Um, but thank you. For, I'm so glad she did. Um, no, so it started, get us out of the house. And then, um, you know, it's, this is Canberra and it's a small time scene and it was just kicking off. And um, for me, it was it was something that I always wanted to do and I did it. And, and I'm really grateful now because the big thing is I'm um, in my professional life, I get up at conferences and I emcee them and I'm fine getting on stage now. And everyone else, most other people aren't, whereas whereas I'm, I, I'm like, give me the microphone. <laughs> I very much, you know, now that I've finished comedy, I, I miss it. And so it's, it's, it's a really cool um, thing that you can transfer into, into that. But comedy for me, um, uh, I think Chris, uh, Chris summed it up. One of the, one of the leading comedians here, she goes, it's, uh, she used to do this joke. She goes, um, uh, hands up all the insecure people. And then she goes, and that's all the comedians you're going to see tonight because <laughs> all the comedians have put their hands up. So comedy really at its core is about um, insecure people seeking the approval of strangers. Now, how does any of that bring the love back into your house and allow you to do what you need to do with the people that matter the most? Yeah. It doesn't. So, and that's why I quit because comedy for me got very dark and, and it was at the worst time. It was before I was diagnosed. And you can go very negative very quick in comedy too. Yeah, you can. And, you know, you've seen all this. And um, so well, Robin Williams is famous for saying, um, I believe, uh, something along the lines of, Commit the saddest of people are the ones that make other people happy because they never want them to feel as bad as they do. Wow. Well, and, and, in, and in therapy terms, uh, someone just called that um, mascotting. I used to go to an anger management group. Now, the, to, to, the big thing for me with bipolar 2 was the anxiety would lead to, to, to anger and depression. And anger was my – and is – probably my number one um, issue and it's uh, the one that hurts everyone the most and uh, it's the one I'm most embarrassed about. It's, um, it's the one that uh, still it still gets to me yeah. because it's anger is about abandonment. It's about abandoning yourself. It's about saying I can't 
look after myself and I don't know what the F's happening and I can't deal you with can this. swear here, you know. I'm going to be like chef, you know, apocalypse now, just pull the hat down over my head and go, I'm bugging out, man. I'm wrapped too yeah. tight for this shit. Yeah. But then the thing about swearing is that I've got a real big problem with it, so that's why I'm trying not to. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing that I've worked you've out. Done, you've managed to not do twice. So yeah, no, because right. words, because, and that's another big thing that the neuroscience teaches you, and that's what's good about this app, is um, uh, each, each thought has a motor component and words are so powerful. So you're creating you are in effect creating your own brain with what you say. So maybe I should stop being so lazy and choose a better vocab. <laughs> it's funny, as, as an author who's written a book, I've lost all my adjectives. My <laughs> 12-year-old sister goes, Dad, how'd you write a book? You know, like, like your verbal, because we're three languages, right? You know, the, the thinking, verbal and written. And mm. my verbal is just homeboy, year eight. You know, it's really come down. <laughs> is that because you've been so focused on writing your book for so long that you've been putting them on the page for so long, uh, do you think? Maybe it's more the Roger I present to the world, to be honest, because there is that wonderful moment for me when a friend or someone that knows me writes my book and then looks at me and goes, hmm, how'd you do that? You know, so what's inside me is, is quite different to how I present and that's, mm. Also, I've, you know, to hook it back into honesty, I'm being, you know, hopefully not darkly sincere, uh, which is a real down on us socially, but I'm being more honest in actually what's going on for me in the relationship. Uh, I would want to present a certain way um, to people, especially to guys, which... Do you think having, do you think having that private, that private Roger and that public Roger that doesn't necessarily meet in the middle. Do you think that causes issues, more issues than it, than it, than it helps? Yeah, and that's, that's um, yeah, this, yeah, that's about isolating for me to just to think about that one. That's, uh, so the, my background, my story is um, boys' school, no sisters, uh, living down the coast, all I wanted to do was get the hell out, you know, and, 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 you know, loving family but very isolated from society. And that level of dysfunction it creates little um, versions of yourself, doesn't it, if, if that's the way to say it? And there's, yeah, there's what you don't show people, of course. And, and this gets back to the secrets comment from earlier. And um, it's like the Chris Rock joke, you know, when you, when you meet someone, you don't meet them, you meet a representative of them, you know, you meet their representative. And uh, I, I tried to hide all of this uh, from my wife. Otherwise, I reckon she would not have married me. And, um, you know, I, I still think that was, <laughs> that was the way it was. Um, but when, when, when the heat comes on and the pressure comes on in your life, and it's generally when you're sleep deprived, in pain, and your dad's dying, and all these things are kicking. This is when this stuff really comes out. And um, I had developed a lot of coping mechanisms, but they'd turned into compulsions, and some of them addictions. So, what's up, what were some of those? What were some of those coping mechanisms that you developed that turned into into not such good coping mechanisms? <sighs> Where to start? You know, I've still got a limit. I'm only going to check my car keys three times before I walk out the door, you know, okay. just, just compulsive behaviour like that. Um, 
Uh, okay, so this goes back to me, teenager, me in the 20s and, and my coping mechanism was just partying and I thought that's what you're supposed to do and that's what a lot of people did and I thought, well, fair enough. Um, so just doing as much of everything as I could was a coping mechanism. Yep. I'm, I'm competitive. So I'd train out, party you, drink you, whatever it was. You, you know, probably I, would have won. Hmm? You probably would have won. Yeah, no, hey, I'm, the, I'm the guy staying at the party and the people are going, now go home. You know, so, yeah. so I'm that guy. And it's funny because I know we're jumping around a bit, but that gets into actually not really showing yourself as well. And that's because party Roger's like autopilot. It is just, it is so easy for me to lapse into that. And I'll just start talking at you, not with you. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's too easy for me. Uh, and it's a way of switching off. And what do you do now that's a coping mechanism that's apart from the use of the app and things like that, that's a much more healthy? So you've already mentioned that you journal. Do you actually chop wood? Because I know you've got a wonderful fire going here. I've got a great friend who chops my wood and delivers it and then stacks it. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is how good my life is now. <laughs> you know, no, I'm, I'm done chopping wood. And because yeah. one of my coping mechanisms was to play really violent sports. And if <laughs> my teenage Roger would not have listened, but don't play football, don't play American football. It'll, oh, so you would like gridiron yeah, American football? It'll just bust okay. you up. And yeah, a lot of my issues would, yeah, just, not only that. But yeah, I would. I was just. Um, I was that guy that thought I could run through a brick wall, you know. And I was twenty, and it's funny because I actually I wasn't. I wasn't. A doctor prescribed to me um, steroids a couple of years ago because I wasn't getting over an injury, and when I when I took oral steroid, um, I just felt invincible again. I just I was drove up Northbourne at about 90 kilometers an hour. I was giving everyone the bird. I ran around my house at one in the morning listening to techno and I thought, oh God, this is what it feels like to be playing football. So that was me back then. And that's one of the hardest things I think to control or really process as a guy is that you are just pumped full of this um, you know, male hormone that's just you just you are so pumped. You don't know what to do with it. And uh, that, that's a feeling that when you're in the mental health, you know, you know, dark room, yeah, it's replicated again. You just don't know what to do. But you are fired up with all this stuff. Yes. Um, so my coping mechanism, yeah, it's back then was to try and run over people and not ask them to get out of the way. And now? I'm, I'm much better at saying excuse me and try <laughs> to ask. Uh, but I tell you what, when I'm tired, um, this the old habits come out. And yeah. I'm fairly big, and um, it's uh, it's it's too easy to go back to that, and it's it's um, it's easy not something I like to talk about either yeah. because it's embarrassing to say that you know I'm, I'm a bully, and um, you know I got bullied, uh, and then all of a sudden I'll I'll bully you, I'll pass it on, and there's a, there's a lot of that growing up too. Yeah. So you have, but you you have a you have a wife now, and you have you have children, and do they do they just sort of like alert you to when you when those behaviours are coming out? They they very much so, and uh, it's fantastic that they do. I'm you know I'm grinning my head off at the moment as you can hear. Yeah. Um, my twelve year old very much go, ah, oh, but dad did it, and so she's on me, and I love it. I love her for that. Um, am I alert to it? Yeah. Uh, so. I'm on Lamictal, so a mood stabilizer for bipolar two. And um, being 50, the hard time is between five and seven o'clock. I get very tired. 
and I get very tired thinking and a tired brain creates tired thoughts and then I'm into the negative and then I'm into grouch and then I'm into get out of my way, you know. And um, a couple of years ago they coined the nickname for me Fuzzy <laughs> and my 10-year-old goes, go lay down, Fuzzy. <laughs> So Between five o'clock, yeah, five, yeah. five p.m. and seven p.m. is not the time to be around, Roger. No, and you know, uh, I just got to accept. I need to go lie down for ten, twenty, maybe thirty minutes. And if it's meditate or listen to music or watch a screen or whatever it is, I've I've got to stop because I willfully thought my coping mechanism was to be, I'm going to road grade everything in front of me and just level it off, and I can do it. And I'm boom, 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 and I have to do it because I'm a guy and also the BS. So. Uh, now it's admitting weakness, but it's socialising it in my family too and they can see it and they go, uh, I think you need to go lie down. <laughs> you are making no sense and, and do you're you being take, quite annoying. Do you, do, do, you take that, do you take that advice gracefully or do you begrudge it sometimes? No, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> no, I'm a perfectionist. I, I crack the joke. I used to crack the joke. I'm not a perfectionist. I just don't want to make a mistake. <laughs> Because uh, that's my issue is around making. I can't even look at you when I say this, but go. it's about making mistakes, and that is about accepting being human. And it's really around acceptance. It's either that, you know, Colin Powell, whatever the, the person is saying, you know, there's, there's, um, it either will or it won't happen. You know, just, just accept it. You know, that's right. So it's sort of it's a little bit about you know just making your mind up to accept that you don't actually have a lot of choice in some things. Yeah, and that I haven't got all the answers. And mm. boy, things you know, part of my daily program now, boy, things go better the more I ask for help. And I'll take it too far as well. I'll start taking the piss and just start asking the girls to do every single chore in the house, and they'll tell me to get staffed because it's not on the roster. But, <laughs> um, you know, so the, you know, we, we do joke about it as well. Fantastic. And I, I think the, the humours have got to be a big part of it. Um, yeah. Because that will just, it's the pinprick in the balloon when things are getting pressurised for me. Um, so the humour just releases that, that pressure. Yeah. It's, you know, when I'm going well, I can use it and access it. Um, okay. So and you mentioned earlier on that you like to listen to music. Mm. What sort of music do you like to listen to? Do you find it affects your mood adversely as well that's, as positively? That's right. It, it depends on the mood I'm in and the mood I want to be in. And, again, um, my 12-year-old says, I've, I've, I've never met anyone with such a wide range of musical tastes. You know, I'm, anything from, um, you know, side trance or techno or, or beats down to, you know, alms and, and Tibetan monks. And um, uh, laid back Americana, or you know, I've got all these different Spotify playlists and and SoundClouds now. And for me, it's usually around putting on a, something that's safe. Always going to in the morning get me underway. So something that's a bit more up tempo, and then later in the day, it's very much about bringing it down. I don't want I with with you don't want to be too up and too down with bipolar. And I can see when I'm escalating and going up, I go, I don't want to get too caffeinated either. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so. so that's another thing to watch. There's all these little things to watch, you know. Um, and and if, uh, the, the tiredness, I'd say, is one of the biggest triggers for me. Okay. Um, that's that's one of the biggest ones I've got to watch. So tea or coffee? Um, I, I have my one, two coffees a day. And that's it. I'm not touching that again, because yeah, after lunch I'll, I'll get too I'll get too wired up. 
my system will be too wide. But yeah. no tea, I'm not. A, I'm not a tea drinkers. Oh, look, I can't say no to things either. <laughs> so my wife says, do you want a cup and tea? I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's me filtering the world. Yeah. Or uh, not saying no. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's a big thing. And I think, uh, again, when you when I'm tracking well, I'm able to say no because that's, that's the ability to actually shape your world, have bound, and getting good boundaries in place is really important in, in, in mental health. Um, and... Um, I, I, it sounds weird me just saying that, but I just I struggle to say no to food because uh, that's another issue for me is is food. You enjoy food? Yeah, it, too much. And um, a lot of this underneath a lot of this was you know I went through a trauma as a as a little kid, and um, I went through a lot of operations, and I had to say no to food. Oh, and it really really confused me back then, and it really annoyed me. And don't worry, I can access that feeling pretty quickly, you know. To to, but you know, I'm I'm better at it now. And um, my doctors told me I definitely need to be better at it because I've just turned fifty. But yeah, it's yeah, it's, we don't lose weight as quickly once we once we hit those milestones. Oh no, totally. But no, um, again, I'm 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 in a fortunate position because I'm married to a great cook. Wasn't even on my list of must-haves in, in my life, but. Um, thankful god yeah i can i can grill and and roast but yeah not much else in between so um mental health as well and you probably heard this or the listeners have heard this food is so important in terms of um, creating your mood um and just putting down the junk so when you're so when you're having on a on a good day for you you know, you're doing your apps. You're you're keeping measured. What's what does your diet look like as well on on a good day? Mm. Well, um, the Scottish breakfast, you know, porridge. Kick okay. up, kick off with that. Put the kefir in there for your for your gut. Fruit. Um, lunch. Uh, probably lay off the protein a bit. Okay. I've uh, been heavy on that. Was, um, uh, at dinner, it's you know we're not eating you know big slabs of meat anymore. Um, there's, I don't actually like to ask my wife <laughs> what's is for there, dinner because I like a surprise. Yeah. But basically, um, but there's plenty of greens in there, lots of colour. Yeah, yeah, eat the rainbow. Is, eat is, the rainbow. Eat the rainbow. They oh, say. Fantastic. No, look. Um, the, the more the more roughage fruit and veg you can put down your neck, the better. Um, lunch. I've just I used to just go and get basically Asian for lunch. Um, um, now I've moved jobs. Yeah, I'm out of the government. You're yeah, out of the government, after yeah. After 23 years. Yeah. Huzzah. And I tell you, well, we can do a whole podcast on mental health and working in the Australian public service. That's, yeah, which I, not. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> we God. We do oh, both still have to live I, in Canberra. I, I think, I think that, that that's – well, if we're never going back. Um, <laughs> that, that could be the, the that could be another podcast. We could have like this um, <laughs> a support group for ex-public servants. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, where were we? I'm totally off base now. So, uh, food. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a vexed question and I try and um, have one piece of chocolate at night, not more than one. Just one single piece one of piece. chocolate. One piece. Because one leads to two leads to three, you know, Francis. Yeah. And then you're away. Yes, I know. But that's very <laughs> that's very um, controlled and measured of you to be able to do that. And look, yeah, <laughs> a healthy discipline. What is it? Um, uh Oh, sorry, I've lost the quote. Yeah. But yeah, look, I'm, look, I'm, I'm. God, I've, I've, uh, 
I just heard of someone I was watching a Super Bowl with three or four years ago and he he died from a massive heart attack and he was 42 and they, they cut him open he's just chock full of cholesterol. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if that really does motivate me to change my eating but it's quite shocking. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not the way I want to live. I, you know, five, six years ago I was over 120 kegs. I was, I was blowing right out. Right. I was losing. I was disappearing. <laughs> my so face was losing, disappearing. You were losing. You were losing definition around the neck area. Oh, uh, when you? I got my driver's license photo, I'm like, "Where's my face?" <laughs> it's just got this around it. Um, so no, um, detox. Don't retox. Is 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 detox? Don't retox. I've yeah. never heard that. That's a good one. You know, you got all those detox places you can go to. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I don't do the fasting thing, but uh, my wife does. Um, you know, the five and two or whatever you're going to do. Yep. Um, so the, okay. food, food, food's going to be a driver or an inhibitor, well, one of the two in all this. And it's, I know it's been said a lot, but it is so important just to, you know, anything that comes out of a box, just don't do it. Yeah. So before we go, because we're sort of coming up towards the end of, of our day, can you just tell me a little bit about your book? True North, it's an action thriller romance. It's set in, yeah. I know, it's, I know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a genre spanner. Uh, yeah. Vietnam War, 1962, it's a novel. And uh, there's a great quote in the media on the weekend about how um, historical fiction, it's, it's, uh, it's so much more accurate than any non-fiction piece of work on war. Because again, that's, there's no one truth in war, but there's many lies. And, and I wrote it in the early part of the Vietnam War with a male and female lead character. And the male's pretty much me, Aussie white guy, comes over to help the Vietnamese. And on the other side, on the North Vietnamese Army side, is female, 19, with an AK-47. And, and I've got to say, out of all this, the, the female is so much easier, better and, and rewarding to write. Because I always felt so hemmed in with the male character and just, you know, Anglo this and Anglo that. Okay, that's and then, interesting. And then ultimate freedom, I would describe, when you're writing from the female perspective. And very much the Vietnamese perspective because they're, they're romantic, passionate people, musical people. And mm. all of a sudden you can just let loose with, with the, the language. So, yeah, um, motivation for writing a book about the Vietnam War, um, big picture was it's probably to me the biggest fail of that century. It's when we find out our leaders are lying to us. It's, it's sort of the early WikiLeaks, the Pentagon Papers, and um, it's the great fail, I suppose, if, if you look at what the West uh, did that century. But also I, I, I wrote it from that position of angst working in government where there's that disconnect between the generals and the front lines. Like you and I have been in the front lines and we know what you need to do to win and yet there's this massive disconnect up top. Is it possible to win from the front lines in the public service? You can, and I think you've got to become what um, the British Army did in Malaya and you become that learning organisation. And once you've worked out what works, you've got to be able to socialise it, train people up, but you need access to the top. And it's what the great problem in bureaucracy is that you can't jump to the, the minister or the secretary. But you need to be able to do that if you're going to get the executive champion to get the approval, to get the leadership through, to open up the doors. Yeah. Um, so once you work out what wins, the great frustration is you're tied with arms behind your back. And that's the, the allegory, the metaphor for Vietnam. Um, and and, and as part of my – on a mental health front, sorry, um, writing – when you ask me what do I do, writing was – writing is recovery. And when you read the book, you can read it as a Vietnam War story or you can read it on another level and say uh, it's about my relationship with my wife. You can read it on a couple of levels there. 
I, I have read it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm not generally a a, a romance novel kind of gal. Uh. Yeah. So I did enjoy it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. What was the what was the actual process like um on your on your mental health of writing the book because I do know that you uh, it took you a while and it did it did present its own challenges. You get up at 5:30 in winter, don't make a sound, turn on your laptop and bash out 250 words. And it's it's that and it's that chopping wood thing. It's get up, do it every day and don't try and write final copy. Get words down on 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 you know from let them come out of your fingertips. Uh, and that healthy discipline, um, I've I've been told now I can never write another book <laughs> by your wife, <laughs> by your family, because she was my editor. And um, God, what a great editor too! And boy, whenever I disagree, she goes, "Well, you can go find another editor <laughs> if you that'll, want." That'll cost you money. <laughs> <laughs> it cost me a lot more money. And be nowhere nowhere near as good. Now she pulled tight like a plastic surgeon. So when you it's a, it's in that page turner style. Mm. Um, uh, but no, you if you want something, be prepared to pay the price. You know, the, everything costs. Commit, punch it out, and and look when you when you get an idea. There's this moment writing the book about three years in. I thought I'm not going to make it. And this, oh, I, I love it. It's it's a great mental health moment. And it's like anyone's done a PhD. You know, any any, any friends that have gone through that, you think, oh, I'm not going to get to the finish line. So there's this moment. The book sort of rushes towards the end. And I think from a storytelling point of view, it's valid, but also it's because I'm just so sick and I need to finish this and, and we need to actually just get this thing out. And that's what they tell you in the writing classes is hurry up and finish it, put it out, then you can improve it on the next version or edition or whatever it is. But um, it's what I love to, to, to the big thing to say about it is that when I'm in the zone of writing, I'm in flow, um, there is nothing else. I'm, I'm, and I'm in something that's really good for me. So it's, it's. Well, it certainly stands out on this on the bookshelf with its bright red and yellow cover. I saw it at the War Memorial yesterday when uh. I was there, and I've seen it in a in a few bookshops in Canberra, and I've seen it at the airport as well. So it's, it's unfortunately I didn't see it at Heathrow, although I did go and ask in the bookshop to see if they had it. Good. Thank you, Francis, yes. because that's how they yeah. get the books in. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've hacked. I've hacked social media advertising. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> you, get, you get boots on the ground to use the military yeah. term. You get the people walking into the store going, "Hey, where's the book?" And then they order it. And I'm like, "Oh, is that how it works?" Yeah, I asked in. I think I asked in three separate W H Smiths in in the UK. I asked in Basingstoke by W H Smiths. I asked in a bookshop in W H Smith, just because I know that's how 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 you spread the word. <laughs> I thank you for it. We need, so, I need an army. I need an army. It takes a village. It takes a village, but I need an army. Yeah. So to, maybe if you're listening somewhere in the world and uh, you you do want to get yourself a copy of of Roger's book True North, um, I will put a link for it in the uh, in the in the description of this podcast, so you can go and find it. Um, but yeah, go into your local bookshop and ask for it, just to make a point. Demand it. Yeah, just demand march it. in there. Order it in. Just I've heard yeah. about this great writer. Yeah. <laughs> So, Roger, I'd really like to thank you for your time this afternoon. Uh, thank you for sharing your story um, with me and with us and allowing me into your home. And if you could give your 15 years, just the last thing, if you could give your 15-year-old self one piece of advice that you knew you would have actually taken, what do you think that would be? I wrote down so much. <laughs> In answer to this one, um, 
it's more of a statement. It's it's that you're safe. I'd, I'd, I'd tell me that I'm safe. You're safe. Yeah, because you just feel totally the opposite yeah. when you're like this. Yeah. You are, you know, you are in a million little pieces, really. And you just, you don't know which way is north. Yeah. And that's why you know, I came up with the title of the book. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, I absolutely wish you all the best in the future. And thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you, Francis. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.